We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Coachable Podcast. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, and this is where you come to get game-changing advice so that you can learn how to level up and win at life and business. Today is a very, very special day. I am thrilled to be filming this episode, to be having this conversation with somebody who I consider to be one of my coaches, my teachers, the people who have spoken so much life into mine and has helped me to shift my perspective and get off of defense. Stop playing defense, stop playing survival and learn how to truly take my power back and and be an empowered creator of my reality. Starting to play offense, starting to move down the field towards the things that are most important and meaningful in my life. And that is Peter Crone. Peter, if you don't know who he is, he works with everyone from world-class athletes to stay-at-home parents to redesign the subconscious mind. We exist in the limiting mental constructs that dictate our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, and ultimately our results and what we experience. And Peter helps people and groups step outside of the world as they know it by identifying mental constructs that have been holding them back. Peter's work explores the fundamental issues that affect us all so that we can foster a deeper understanding of our common humanity. He's a writer, a speaker, a thought leader in human awakening and potential and truly one of the greats in my book. So Peter, thank you for being here and welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Thank you. Um, means a lot. I'm excited for the conversation and I Certainly, I'm grateful for the kind words and the opportunity to hopefully contribute to your audience. Mm, yeah, I, I can't think of any other singular person who's been on the show to date. Maybe Marianne Williamson. We've had incredible people on the show, but I, but someone who's had such a profound impact on my life personally um, than you. And so, this is a treasure. This is an honor. But it's it's truly exciting because I know the depth and the profundity of what your work can do for somebody. I am, I am the byproduct of, of that. Um, and so mm-hmm. I know what it's going to mean to our audience as they learn more about you. Um, you know, here's where I want to start at least so sure. I can give you some context for our audience. 
You know, mm-hmm. I call this show the Coachable Podcast because I think it's primary for us to be students, for us to learn, for us to grow, to evolve. And ultimately, I talk about the game of life as a metaphor, right? Um, that there's these mm-hmm. two sides that we play. Most of us, I think, predominantly play defense. We're playing not to lose. We're playing yeah. to survive, to prevent bad things from happening, right? Um, yeah. yeah. And ultimately, the purpose of this show is to help give people tools, resources, experiences, understanding, perspective shifts so they can start to play offense, right? Um, so they can get out of the mental constructs and the limiting ideas of themselves. And so they can create a life that's full of meaning and purpose and freedom, which is really the product that you are all about helping people discover and yeah. experience. So can yeah. you talk about um, why freedom is the key to really getting onto that offensive side of life? And how do we start to access it? How do we start to get off of defense? What is necessary yeah. before we can start to move into offense? <clears throat> Well, I mean, beautiful. You've obviously done your work and I'm not just referencing about me, but um, as it relates to the human disposition and all the things that we uh, all struggle with. Um, But before I get to that, I just want to say thank you for the kind words. And I'm so flattered that my work has influenced you personally. It's always humbling to see how many people around the world, the amount of times I get stopped even on the street or in a grocery store, um, even sometimes because people just recognize my voice and they're like, you know, you in ways you don't even understand. You saved my life. You changed my life. And so it's also nice to be with you as the host here and um, having had an impact. So thank you. Um, with, re- with regards to freedom, I think the way you phrased it is really beautiful in terms of offense and defense. We could say that as a nice analogy, not nice in terms of the experience, but just to simplify for the audience, being on defense is sort of like you are, quote, unquote, imprisoned, you're limited, you're stuck within a a confining space. And being on offense is breaking free out of that. Now, that's obviously a literal real life example of constraint. Whereas for me, the experience of internal freedom, which is what I'm bringing people is, you know, we could equate to a spiritual awakening. I know that sounds sort of very highfalutin and maybe a little bit too poetic for some people. But by, by being human, by design, we have these um, inherent limiting beliefs, these constraints of uh, inadequacy, insecurity, and scarcity. And as long as we live in those and we are automatically and sometimes obliviously going to be living in an avoidant energy to your point where we're trying to um, avoid missing the free throw. We're trying to avoid the breakup. We're trying to avoid the debt. We're trying to avoid the disease. And there's sort of this perception of a worst case scenario that people think they're heading towards. It's really a reflection of their trials and tribulations from the history that the brain by virtue of being a, an instrument to predict and protect is trying to avoid the repetition of things. So freedom is to really emancipate ourselves from all of that exhausting means of just simply making it through life, which Mm. is no way to live and it's tiring. So that's why I speak about freedom. Most people, it's funny because most people would think they are free because they don't look at it at a deeper level, but freedom really is something that I would assert is ironically our innate state, it's uh, it's our essence. But as long as we're misassociated or misidentified with the human form, then by design in this three-dimensional construct that we're in, there is limitation. So the The opportunity of being human is that we are free, 
we are in human form, which by design is limited. And so we're learning to transcend that. And mm-hmm. that's the ultimate game of kind of cosmic hide and seek, as I call it. Yeah. Yep. Um, there's so much I want to get into here, but you say the, the preoccupation or pre over identification with the human form, with the body, with the idea of ourselves. And I, is it fair to say that that's what you would call ego and kind of how we relate to the world through this lens of thinking, I live on planet earth. I have to pay my taxes and I have to make money and I have to be a good citizen or a good daughter or friend, right? This, this concept of who we think we are and why we are trying to figure out why we exist is, is that what you mean with the preoccupation with the human element? Yeah. And the misidentification, it's very, it's, it's sort of very slippery. So yes, ego is a word I use, identity, persona, Mm -hmm. and persona really is like that facade. Like, even though I think where it's, um, originates from Greek it's like the idea of like on stage they would wear a mask you know as they performed on stage and that was the persona and so we all develop these masks but yes um I sort of distinguish between soul pointing towards our essence you could Mm -hmm. call it spirit consciousness and then ego or identity as it relates to our human um persona and so it is it's so slippery and it really can be um you know, replete with suffering. Suffering to me is really because of the misidentification with the form that we think we're this meat suit, right? And that I have a particular age, I have a particular height, I have a particular nationality, even maybe a religion or whatever it might be. None of which are wrong, but they are nonetheless just based in conversation. They're not necessarily, they're not truths, right? So for me, it's about subtly creating space between that which I truly am versus that which I become misidentified with. And even in language, like obviously, as I'm sure you're aware, because you've done your research, I I consider language as sort of the, the medium in which I traffic, mm-hmm. uh, because words are both the lock and the key, right? If I say something at a deeper level, albeit subconscious, then I'm not enough or that I'm not loved because my parents perhaps were a little bit absent or God forbid, it was a single parent who was doing the best she or he could, but I never felt really held or seen or appreciated. And so the deep subconscious part of my identity could be around feeling insufficient, not special, not valued. Then that becomes the container within which I try to function. Mm -hmm. So there can be adaptation, survival mechanisms, right? Someone who thinks they're not enough, sometimes they'll become the perfectionist as a way of adapting or they'll become the people pleaser as a way of trying to find enoughness through other people. Um, Whatever the means of escape that we seek or the survival strategy that we take on, that behavioral adaptation is always a facade and it's, it can't be sustained. It's, it's exhausting. So, so that whole realm of basically human suffering, I do put under the auspices of ego or identity. And the opportunity is to, to go back kind of to your first question, in order to access the, you know, the offensive way of living and being free, we have to first notice we're not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and most people don't know that they're not free. So they're not even looking to become free mm. until such time that they face trials and tribulations. They get triggered in a relationship, the loss of a loved one, the, you know, being fired or let go of a job and the, the, the things that we all face in life. I mean, these are things that aren't pleasant to go through on the subjective level, but I would assert are the catalysts for our own spiritual evolution. Yeah. And so you know, one of my more popular quotes that people share on social media, as I say, life will present you with people and circumstances to reveal where you're not free. 
And so it might seem like a pain in the rear when we're going through things, but to me, it's actually life-giving the opportunity to see where you're not free, recognizing the powerful divine being that you are. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can think anytime I hear somebody like you talk, I, I self-reference, right? And I tried to search mm -hmm. out in my own life, like, where can I relate to this? How can I relate to this? And when you talk about you know, that spiritual awakening or that moment that shakes you out of your stupor, your slumber, this like unconscious way you've just been kind of walking through, sleepwalking through life. Yeah. I relate so much to your work because you and I have shared similar experiences in the sense that uh, I know you lost your parents both very young. You went through a yeah. really heartbreaking relationship ending that was also the catalyst for your kind of coming to into some of these awarenesses, right? Around yeah. um, the problems that you think you have. I've heard you say, you know, the paradigm of survival or working, living on defense is, is looking for solutions to problems. And the problem that we all have is thinking that we have one, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. yep. And that's, and that's kind of our, our, the lens through which we see our circumstances is thinking that maybe it shouldn't be this way or we don't want it like this. So how can we change yeah. it? And, and for me, I relate so much to you and your story because like you, I've experienced a lot of loss. I, um, just to let you know a little bit about me and how, how sure. I relate to you is I lost my sister. She, she, I was, she was 23 when she passed. She was four years older than me. To leukemia. Mm -hmm. I also lost my mom to stage four ovarian can cancer a couple years later. Those who listened to the show know that in between then, I lost all of my grandparents, my uncle, most all of my immediate living family, except for my dad, mm -hmm. is now passed away. And um, and so that all of those experiences were opportunities for me to wake up and recognize. One, I'm mm -hmm. so much more than a body. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. And and that was the beginning for me. Okay, if I'm not just a body, what am I? And yeah. even prior to this awakening, you know, I had had I, I would have considered myself a spiritual or faithful person. I grew up in religion. I've that's been a whole different part of my journey of trying mm -hmm. to find universal truth versus what I've been yeah. told and taught to believe. But that was kind of the beginning for me of questioning and being curious about, okay, if I'm not just this 3D human experience, mm -hmm. then what am I? Because yeah. there was a moment in time where, where my family and I had to make the ultimate decision to take my sister off life support. And yeah. that moment was such a profound, like holy moment because we're sitting there, we're standing there and I'm with her and she's there mm -hmm. very much like her spirit, her soul, her essence was animating mm -hmm. that body. And yeah. then it wasn't. And that transition was the awakening I, my soul needed to, mm -hmm. to recognize yeah. there's so <clears throat> much more. And so since then I've been reconciling and trying obviously that was also very traumatizing and there was a lot of yeah. beliefs that I built around <clears throat> loss and all of that, um, as a byproduct, but it was to your point, that catalyst for getting out of the illusion that this is all that there is, right. The, the, yeah. the dream that I'm just Tori as I, you know, with brown hair and a body and is a daughter mm -hmm. and a friend, et cetera. Um, yeah. 
with that being said, I have struggled personally, and I know a lot of people in this uh, listening to this show have struggle with the human element, right? Um, I've had and done a lot of personal development work on myself. I continue to do it. It's like my, it's, it's what I do for a living. It's also what yeah. I, if I say, if I stop working on myself, I'll have nothing to share with people, right? Because <laughs> I only yeah. share what yeah. works for me. But yeah. um, one of the things I have come to realize is this idea that there's soul, spirit, who I am, my core essence, and then all of the things that come as a byproduct of being human. And I, I'll yeah. share what I, how I've come to that. So through okay. deep breath work or meditation or plant medicine experiences, most recently, I started ketamine therapy um, with a, a doctor here, and it's been really beautiful. And one of the first things I experienced was this, was my soul, which I had experienced before, but I very much felt in those experiences, it was like, I recognize that I'm sort of a genie in a bottle. Now, follow okay. me here. So like, yep. when I go into that experience, even a deep meditation, my spirit, my essence, my soul kind of comes out of the body. The genie comes mm -hmm. out of the bottle, if you will. And I can experience the fullness of my, my connectedness to all that there is, that love is who I am and where I originate from. It's, I experience yep. all the fruits of the spirit, right? Gentleness, kindness, love, like deep connection. And then mm -hmm. when I come back into my normal life and come out of the experience, whether it be a ketamine journey or plant medicine journey or meditation, it's like mm -hmm. genie gets sucked back into the bottle, into the yeah. body I go back. And then yeah. I immediately feel the effects of being in this flesh, in this 3D reality where it's judgment and fear and shame and, and all of those yeah. things. Yeah. So the, the challenge is how do we how do I stay connected? It's I like to that soul, that essence, that truth, which I know is who I am. But then day yeah. to day, life is like, here's your human. And she, yeah. she is scared and she's fearful and she's trying to do it right. Um, so it's like, I've got this cognitive awareness and even deep at times embodied knowing that I am so okay. And then yeah. there's my human that's, a little girl that's so afraid. How do we it. integrate? Is there a is there a way that we can transcend the human part and fully be, you know, connected to to the love that we are? Or is that is that just the human experience? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a beautiful question, and I love your commitment to it. Um, there's a few sort of subtleties and some of the paradoxes of the human experience. Mm -hmm. um, I first just want to acknowledge you sharing, and obviously, I didn't know your personal story, but. Um, uh, you know, sorry for the passing of your sister and your mom and excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Um, so that is, you know, that's, that's a rite of passage for anybody, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm sure because you're familiar with my story, you've, I hope, if not, we can speak to it, um, have reframed the narrative of loss, right? So you didn't lose your mom, you right. didn't lose your sister. Yeah. Um, Maybe the form is not here anymore, like the meat suit, the, the human part. Mm -hmm. But their essence continues. It's sort of ever-present. <clears throat> that is the eternal part of who we are. Um, so, you know, I appreciate you sharing that. And obviously, there's a lot of simpatico between my experience and yours, so I can see why the work would resonate. Um, but as it relates to, you know, these beautiful journeys that you go on or experiences you have, whether it be breathwork, meditation, plant medicine, 
I think one of the beautiful things about having those practices is that we get a glimpse of what's possible and maybe even the arena of possibility itself. Mm. So the opportunity really is to what degree can we um, infuse that into the human experience, like a deeper knowing. I make the distinction between knowing, which is with a K, mm. and gnosis, which is with a GN, you know, more sort of guttural, intuitive. And so it's kind of like the expression of once you see it, you can't unsee it. So once you're familiar with the essence of who you are, which is boundless, timeless, limitless, um, you can't unsee that. You can't unknow that. Now, of course, you're going to get bamboozled with everyday life, especially if you're a mom, as you said. Um, and we get pulled into the, the charade of the human experience. Um, I just be conscious of the way you use language, though, like saying, how can I stay connected to that? Mm. Mm -hmm. sort of implies what you're doing in language is you're saying, first of all, I'm not connected. And then I'm the human form trying to stay connected to it. Sure. It's the other way around. Okay. So it would be more accurate to say, how can I be less connected to my human form? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Because who I am is the soul, who I am is the being, who I am is spirit, who I am is consciousness. So my essence is freedom, love, all the things you said, like you talked about kindness and being gentle. Um, and discovering that real flavor of love, like a real love, not like the romantic celluloid Hollywood movie love, but mm -hmm. like real love, which is beautiful. So once you get a flavor of that and you get that sense of it, you can start to bring that essence of you, the real you, into the human form. So it becomes like an into out. Most mm -hmm. of us from the human level become so preoccupied with the out to in, like, I want to get their love, I want to get their acknowledgement, I want to get these accolades, I want to get this status outside. So it's all, we're using the outside as a means by which we try to get and garner the qualities of an experience we want, which ironically is who we already are. Mm -hmm. So rather than looking for an exogenous form of uh, some form of security, reinforcement, love, affection, it's incumbent upon us to discover, oh, wait a minute, I have all of those qualities, that's who I am. And how can I, from the inside out, very much like the body works, right? We eat food, goes through the digestive system, into the blood, it gets metabolized at the cellular level, and something like our skin pushes out, right? Mm -hmm. So likewise, if I can bring those qualities, which is really the creative process itself, from the inside out, then meaning if I can be more loving towards others versus wanting them to love me, then I also am imbibing in the love that I express. If I can express um, acknowledgement and value to others, then by virtue of that expression coming through me, I also get to be the beneficiary of that same sense of value. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity is to recognize, first of all, as humans, we tend to look for the out to fulfill the in. And in fact, it's the, completely the antithesis. We want to use the in to fulfill the out. Out to in is very much a reactive process. It's sort of where I'm reacting to circumstance versus into out is very much creative. Mm -hmm. I, I get to see that I'm the cause of my experience. And so one of my expressions, again, I say, as we express, so we experience. So if I'm angry at someone and I think they're the one that pissed me off, well, I'm also the beneficiary or the... Uh, I'm as a byproduct experiencing my own anger, right? Mm -hmm. I might think it's over there with them, but it, I am ultimately the source of my own internal state. Mm. So, so some subtleties there, but you don't need to stay connected. You are eternally connected because that's who you are. But what the opportunity is to maybe disassociate and maybe not that word because it's so often used in spiritual terms as letting go or not facing mm -hmm. things, but, you know, to become, I use the word dissolution, 
So to become dissolved from the illusion of who I am, whereas when I'm in the illusion of who I am, we tend to look for solutions to our problems. For me, the access to freedom, to go back to the first question, is to dissolve the constraints that I've become unconsciously attached to. Mm. Um, and that's where the connection reveals itself versus me trying to stay connected. I'm always connected. It's a process of revelation, right, yeah. where life is revelatory. I'm letting go, discarding, dissolving the parts of me that aren't me to reveal the essence of who I've always been and always will be. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what you do so well right there is be able, you're such a good listener. And it's the subtleties of how we're relating to even what I'm saying and the way in which I'm I'm saying it shows kind of the the chip in the in the like the crack in the armor, if you will, or the crack in the idea yeah. uh, that I have and and just how you shifted that is so so impressive and also like really lands for me. And I hope the people that are listening like yeah. really see that shift too, because it is, it, yeah. it often feels like in the human experience, it, it can feel frustrating when you've had that mm -hmm. awareness and you have that knowing, um, but to feel like that knowing is at a, is at a distance from you than it once was where that felt yes. closer and more, um, more tangible, um, and mm. how that happens over this. Yeah. Very subtly. And it, you're, it's not like one day you're like, you wake up in the morning and you're not can, can as connected or aware of that. Yeah. Um, but I think like you're saying, we're so fixated on our issues, our pain, um, mm -hmm. our, our problems. And how do yeah. we, how do we avoid that? How do we, how do we stop feeling the pain? So either yeah. let's fix it, let's change it, let's avoid it, let's numb it, yeah. all of the ways we, we try to do that. Um, and mm -hmm. then this other piece around what you call the linguistic fortresses, the, the way we speak, yeah. the language that we have says so much about our internal posture or how we relate or to life or to ourselves. Can you speak yeah. more to that? Like, where did you start to understand that language was sort of this lock and this key? And how can we start to maybe self-identify? Where is our yeah. language showing us where we're stuck, where those blockages or those, those internal prisons really are? Uh, great question. And I, and again, I do want to just sort of, not as a disclaimer, but with a sense of compassion for the audience and even for you, that it is incredibly um, tempting and it's we easily get bamboozled into the human experience, like that mm -hmm. I am this. If you look at the way that language is constructed, even from a very young age, we hear words consistently, you're bad, you're good, you're pretty, you're smart, you're fast. Like it's pointing to who we are as a human. And so the constant attribution of these qualities to the human part of us as though that's who we are, it makes it, you know, it's no surprise that that's where we all relate from, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's, it's really important that people have that sense of patience and compassion with themselves, that it's... Uh, it's incredibly seductive for us all to think that we are this human form. Um, so, you know, to understand that, um, to then, with what we've already discussed, to recognize actually some of those qualities that you're talking about, that kindness, that gentleness, 
we can start to, and I would assert, it's actually because we have this limited part of us, this limited form, this human part, that we, we have that by design. Because if we were flawless, if we were perfect, then we wouldn't have to develop the capacity for love and compassion and patience, mm -hmm. right? So it's almost like who out there doesn't love the parts of them that they are enamored by or they like, their favorite features. They've got great cheekbones. They've got great hair. They've got great butt. They've got, you know, whatever <laughs> it is that people love about themselves. It's easy to love those, right? Because there's a feeling of like acceptance and maybe even reverence for those parts of them. Um, for me, the, the opportunity that it is to be human is that by design, we are flawed. We are imperfect and we're so as I said, attached to this three-dimensional um, extension of ourselves. Mm. And so much of it, we don't like. We are ultimately our worst critics. I just did a presentation in front of 5,000 people where I said, you know, when we're born, the factory settings of the brain are to self-destruction, mm. right? So that's, that's how you come out. And then we develop means of sort of placating that, numbing it, hiding it, uh, disproving it, whatever. But it's really quite beautiful because you recognize the capacity that we have to love, which is immense, especially, you know, as a mother, that's when it tends to start to really show up for a parent mm. as you probably getting to your thirties, mid thirties, maybe even late thirties, some people early twenties or late twenties. And, you know, it's not a stretch to say most people by then are pretty pissed off and resigned with life. <laughs> They've mm -hmm. been knocked around enough times. And then, boom, this miracle of your own child shows up and you just feel this depth of love. Like mm -hmm. it's a reminder of like, no, 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 you're not here to just sweat through life struggling and just make it. Um, and so I think similarly, albeit in a slightly different fashion, the depth of love that we can feel for a child is what we're actually learning as a being, as mm -hmm. a spirit, is to go, oh, I have the capacity to love at such a profound level, but how ironic that... I, my human form, are the sort of the last recipient of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and so it, it's, I think by design, as I said, that we're given this human form with all of its imperfections, flaws, and things that we judge the, as the catalyst, the means to how much love can we develop at a deeper level such that we find even that profound capital A acceptance for every aspect of ourselves, mm -hmm. and that to me really is that that human experience that we're all on is developing true love. You yeah. know, not romantic love, but true love, which has no agenda and it's all embracing. Yeah, and just to clarify, I'm actually I'm not a mother. I'm a dog mom. I don't know, but oh, you but, said a daughter. I thought you said a daughter. Is that no? I am a daughter. I am a daughter. Of my dad. Oh, you're my a parents. daughter. I thought you yeah, said yeah. you had a daughter. Okay. I don't, but I do. I, I very much feel like that is hopefully in the next chapter of my life, I feel very ready yeah. and, and that, that I'm on the precipice of that. And it's interesting that this is what we're talking about because even this morning, like I have a dog who I consider my child, right? And I was walking him and mm -hmm. I was listening to my language, right? And how I praise him. I'm like, good boy, good boy, you right, know? Right. <laughs> and I started yeah. to think about if I have a child, obviously in preparation for this conversation with you, but how we come into the world and we learn from our parents and our caregivers, like, what kind of world we live in. If it's, a, yeah. you know, that we live in a world of duality, of, of contrast, right? Of good and bad and right and wrong. And, and yep. so that we learn to navigate the world, right? And that there are mm -hmm. consequences to our choices. Yeah. 
and mm-hmm. how often, because I hear, I've heard you talk about this, right? This, this disillusion of the idea that we could do it wrong. We could get it yeah. wrong. We could be mm-hmm. bad. That is a yeah. big, big thing that I have been working on and continue and still am working on is this releasing of this idea that I need to be good, that I need to be yeah. a good yeah. girl. I was always yeah. straight A's, MVP, lead mm-hmm. in the play. I knew it felt good to get praise and I knew how to follow the rules to make that yeah. happen for myself. But how yeah. I've watched how that is carried into my life. And now even just speaking to my dog, I'm like, how is it possible that when I, if I have the chance to become a mother, that I don't ingrain the same idea into my child where I'm saying, mm-hmm. good job, baby. You know what I mean? And she learns mama loves me when mm. you do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can you speak to that? Because that seems like a real challenge um that we it is i mean and again it's part of the vernacular of being human especially being a parent right like i have a lot of parents with the different means by which their parenting does work doesn't work how Mm -hmm. kids respond so many people who have done my work are like i want to learn this so that my kids don't go through the same traumas and dramas and bs that i went through um so i think first of all it comes back again to compassion and patience for parents is like everyone's doing the best they can within the limits of their own conditioning um but yes we it's it's sort of unavoidable i think you know the world of duality is the means by which we have an experience right you only experience something due to the relativity of something if you're lying in bed and you're a little warm and you move your leg over and you feel cooler on the other side near you know Mm -hmm. the side you haven't been sleeping on the sheets they've got a lower temperature you only experience that because of the relative difference in delta in temperature So I think it's inbuilt into this paradigm of being human that we have um, the both the construct in language, but then also the reality of experiencing something based on duality. Uh, Someone's tall, someone's short. You know, we witness these things in real life. So it's sort of unavoidable what I would uh, encourage and invite parents to get a little bit more focused on is the degree to which they allow all of it, right? So if there is too much encouragement, too much accolades, too much uh, encouragement when someone does something good, Mm -hmm. traditionally good, and there's the absence of it when they do something bad, I would say that's far more detrimental to the development of a human being. Because what you're saying is, we don't make space for the bad, right? And that's not love, right? right? It's sort of as an analogy, sun shines regardless, it doesn't pick, you know, well, we're only going to say, shine in the Bahamas or the Caribbean, you know, forget about Eastern Europe. Like, you know, it's like the sun just shines Mm -hmm. and shines. And so I think the invitation for everybody is to what degree can we be big enough as beings in our capacity to love, to be free, to be all embracing and accepting that we recognize on the continuum that is the human spectrum of both emotions and behaviors, it all has a space, right? Mm -hmm. It's all allowed. I often use the analogy of like if you were to throw a dinner party and you had to invite all of your emotions and you're going through the list, you're like, yeah, of course, we're going to bring positivity and fun and happiness and joy and creativity. <laughs> they're, they're amazing to have at the dinner pay, right. at the dinner table. And then you get low on the list. It's like depression. Oh, do we really have to bring depression to such a downer mm-hmm. and anxiety? They're always done. They won't shut what up. They're always blanket. worrying about something. Yeah. And anger, like um, someone's going to get punched, you know. And right. so... You start to see the sort of the the asinine way that we as humans don't embrace sort of what we might call our shadow side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, is it's a shame because 
it's kind of holding the pendulum up on one side and it becomes exhausting because you're not making space for the, the beauty that is the human experience. And what I find working with people is that the bigger we become and the more we make space for all of our quote unquote qualities and characteristics, the less the negative ones tend to impact us. Mm -hmm. We become so vast in our capacity to hold space for all of it that most of the resistant, reactive, negative type energies tend to be more present when they're being denied, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're like, yeah, come along, depression. If you have a bad day, don't worry about it. We've got plenty of space. We can lie on the couch and just watch Netflix for five hours without berating ourselves. It's okay, you <laughs> right. know? Right. And then at that point, there's so much freedom around it. You're like, I don't, I don't want to waste time watching Netflix. I'm going to get on and do something, right? Mm -hmm. Like versus if we resist it, you know, the old expression of what you resist persists, everyone's heard that. So it tends to just linger. Mm -hmm. So again, I, my invitation is, is freedom and love. You know, that, that sort of, it's a powerful suite. Um, there's so much freedom and there's so much that we can allow everything to be there. And there's love that it sort of not only allows it to be there, but it embraces it being there. Yeah. So then um, it's really miraculous what actually happens for us as an experience because we're no longer denying, you know, a very large part of what it means to be human. Yeah, that has been um, the allowance and the making room for all of these parts of me has been a real it's a journey and this it's, it's yeah. where I'm yeah. like learning to create space and like this part of me, this me too, like this is also allowed to be here because, because the, the conditioning and the construct that I have lived in for so long was if this, right. And I see this a ton with my clients is this all, all going back to that defensive posture. It's like, if this happens, then insert blank, that's bad. Yeah. Right. If I do mm -hmm. this, then this will happen. And so I realized that so much of my life was was like, I was perpetually trying to avoid this theoretical punishment I was afraid to get, right? This, yes. this idea yeah. that if I do something wrong or if I'm not good or if I'm not perfect or whatever, yeah. then I'm going to be punished. And what I equated to punishment was love being taken away or loss, right? Yeah, Quote absolutely. unquote loss. You're leaving. Yeah. Now you're, you're going to yeah. take your presence from me. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, and that and that's is very scary. Yeah. And that's still something I struggle with. If I'm honest, especially in, in re relationships, I get, you know, as a byproduct of lose quote unquote, I know I didn't lose them, but my, so many family passing, um, yeah. when I find love, it's like, I want to hold on to this, right? How yeah. do I keep okay, them close? So yeah. Can I, so can I interrupt? Please. Cause this is profound. Yeah. So look at the language again. Like if I find love, mm -hmm. so what does that immediately imply? That it's, that I don't have it if I. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's outside of you. Right. So again, one of the ways to look at it that would be very profound for you and hopefully the listener is not that I found love because that denies the presence of it eternally in me as who I am. I mm -hmm. am love. What you could say, and I'm not denying this because this is a human experience, is that I was inspired that someone else was the catalyst, the excuse, the reason, the justification to reveal the love that I am. Sure. Yeah. Now, just just get that, right? It's very subtle, right? If When I find love, of course, because then you, you have to try to hold on to it because mm -hmm. you're under the assumption that the love is outside of you, mm -hmm. love being the ultimate currency for a human being, you know, more so than money and fame and whatever. 
Like, of course, we're going to do everything we can to hold on to it, but it's only because of the misinterpretation of where it is. So if you think it's outside of you, then it only makes sense that you're going to try and hold on to it. Very human, very natural. And this is why we have all the love songs and all the love stories and the dramas, right? They, oh, my God, you know, you complete me. Or, yeah. You know, it's like all of that. But you have done enough work and I can you know, tell I'm a pretty astute listener that, you know, you have the awareness, you have the intuition. First of all, you're a woman, so you're much more in touch with these things than most men. No, no slight to my brothers, but it's just the way it goes. Um, so... You, you're never finding love. You're, you might be discovering the love that you are, and it's beautiful to acknowledge somebody as the, as I said, the stimulus, the catalyst for that. But then what happens is it becomes so much more palpable, profound, and authentic because if it, the love is over there with them, then I have to hold on. I can't lose. And then the survival mechanisms for that I can see in you are becoming the perfect girlfriend, mm -hmm. the perfect woman. And that can cross the gamut from how you have to perform in the bedroom to how you have to perform in the kitchen to how you have to perform in the workplace, right? Like, right. Because we're sort of under the impression that I have to be and do something in order to make sure I don't lose the love that's outside of me. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink AG1 literally every day and I started to give them a try because I realized that in order to be the real champion of my life, I've got to take care of my body. It's truly an absolute non-negotiable. I drink AG1 in the morning before I start my day and it makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body as a positive first action and habit of my day. Because I've realized that one small thing that I do is the quickest way that I can create lasting change in my life. I think about it like this. My choices, my actions, they matter. So I think of drinking AG1 as a choice. It's like a vote for the person that I want to become. Someone who's balanced, vibrant, healthy, full of energy. And that's why I love AG1. It tastes so great and gives me everything that I need to feel my best. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash coachable. That's drinkag1.com slash coachable. Check them out today. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Are your thoughts keeping you up at night? It's time to take care of your mental well-being with BetterHelp, the leading online therapy platform. We all face moments when our minds refuse to rest, whether it's stress, anxiety, or those restless thoughts that won't go away. Talk therapy gives you a place to talk it out so you can get out of your negative thought cycles and find some mental and emotional peace. With BetterHelp, you'll have access to licensed therapists who understand what you're going through. They're available to you whenever and wherever you need them, making therapy more accessible than ever. If you're thinking of starting therapy, then definitely give BetterHelp a try because talk therapy is a great opportunity to explore your thoughts, feelings, and experiences in a safe and supportive environment. It provides you with the chance to gain valuable insights into your life, develop positive coping strategies, and work through your challenges. It's not just for people who've experienced significant trauma. Truly, everyone can benefit from therapy. So get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash coachable today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash coachable. I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsor of this week's episode, Camuso Design. Camuso is one of my all-time favorite brands because they are not just a jewelry brand. They are truly my hack for relieving anxiety and stress in my day-to-day -day life. And I'm about to tell you why. 
I wear their shift necklace. It is an absolutely beautiful stainless steel necklace. It is designed in such a way to help you relieve stress and be more calm. And genuinely, that's exactly what it does. I wear this all the time because all I have to do is breathe. I, as you guys know, I'm a breathwork facilitator. I absolutely love the power of breath. And with the Camuso Design Shift Necklace, it is a simple, beautiful reminder that hangs around my neck to remind me to stop, slow down, breathe deeply, and allow my body to do the rest because we truly are our own medicine if we allow ourselves to be. So with this necklace, all I have to do is take a deep inhale through my nose and breathe out through this beautifully crafted necklace. I breathe into the necklace itself. And what it does is it naturally elongates my exhale, helping me to downregulate into my parasympathetic nervous system, feel calmer and clearer in just a few seconds. This is the best thing you can do for yourself is gift yourself the gift of calm with Camusa Design or a friend. I gave these away when I was at Burning Man on the playa and every single person that I gifted one to was so grateful and amazed. They have beautiful stains for women, men, and children. So this is one of the absolute like favorite things I have in staples in my closet, but also one of my very favorite wellness secrets that I'm no longer keeping secret. So make sure you guys go over to camusodesign.com slash coachable to get 15% off your order today. That is camusodesign.com, K-O-M-U-S-O design.com slash coachable and receive 15% off your order. Now back to our episode. So that I can maintain this because I don't. Yes. Yeah, because the idea is that it's going to go away. And the, yes. the idea is that it was in this person or this experience instead of inside of me. It gets personified. And that's why we right. get attachment, you know, dependency relationships, because we're misinterpreting the truth of what's mm -hmm. occurring mm -hmm. is Everything, even on a biomechanical level, if you want to break it down to synapses and the fact that everything in your life is occurring in your brain, which is in your skull. So even whatever you're experiencing, it could be you're pissed off at someone. No, that person just did or said what they did. I'm not condoning the behavior, but that was the equally the catalyst to reveal the anger, which is in you, which really is a survival mechanism on top of you got hurt by something. Right. So the hurt is in you. Same is true with every experience. It's just love is one that everyone loves to talk about. And it's, you know, I would assert, as I said, it's the ultimate currency for us to discover. But as long as we're collapsing it with another person, then, you know, we're screwed, you know, or not as the case may be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we want to make sure that we recognize and become accurate with our languaging that you didn't find love, certainly not in somebody else, but rather that person helped to reveal the love that you are. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, think about a baby, like in the amount of love that a grandparent or a parent feels towards a baby, baby's not doing shit, you know, or literally that is all they're doing and sleeping <laughs> and eating, right? Like, you know, so, you know, that's not really that much to be like wowed about, you know, mm -hmm. it's like that doesn't in traditional terms qual to quantify you know, or qualify for the amount of love that I should bring to them. You know, normally we associate, well, I love someone because they're beautiful, they're intelligent, they're smart, they're successful. Like they, in the adult realm of love, it's because they have attributes and they've accomplished things. Yeah, think about it. Like if it was based, if love was based on somebody's resume, then why the hell would we love a baby so deeply? Sure. <laughs> right? Not doing anything. Right. So, so you start to see, oh, 
the external world is merely the means by which I get to reflect and 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 reveal the experiences that I have for myself. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it was such a profound thing you said that I could hopefully refrain for you, yeah. which now, hopefully next time you fall in love, <laughs> it's really the, 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 the falling in love, I kind of like as an expression, some people in the spiritual realms use rise in love, you know, whatever. But for me, it's more a fall because it's a relaxing, mm-hmm. right? So if this is my soul and this is my human form, I'm, a, I'm a, attached to that. We meet someone, it's fireworks and all the good things that we've all experienced. And because I feel so seen and so held and excited, and they are the catalyst to reveal the love I am, I can relax. And so I fall back into the essence of the love that I am. So I'm not falling in love with them. I'm falling in the love that I am. Mm -hmm. And as long as you can really stay there, then it, it really is the foundation for beautiful relationships, whether they be romantic or otherwise is to see, oh, I am the source of my own experience. And for that reason, whenever I feel love, again, not to in any way dismiss the other person, they can be the source of inspiration. They might have done a lot of work. There may be some sort of soul contract, whatever it is that caused the experience, but the experience is very much mine. Mm. Yes, uh, I receive all of that because there, I can even feel viscerally in my body this relief. Like, oh, yes. like I can't. Yeah miss out on it i can't it's not going anywhere because and for you my dear with the very little i know about you already again not to interrupt but i just want to contribute here as much as i can please why the relief is because i can see you're beautiful you're smart i don't know much about you personally in your own personal life but i could see that you would like to have a family you'd like to have a partner you'd like to have so what that does is it reveals you know the fact that you've had pressure which also buys into the little girl who's always trying to get it right or doesn't want to do anything wrong, right? The good girl, what I heard in the good girl is you're scared of doing anything wrong, which is very human, but it's exhausting and it's completely futile. So what it does is it allows you to go, oh, hang on a minute, that little girl who doesn't want to do anything wrong, who thinks love is outside of her, I mean, you're screwed before you've even started trying to date, you know, or find any kind of love out there because there's so much pressure on you to perform, to look for it out there, to find the right person, all of the vernacular that everyone gets stuck in with regards to romantic relationships versus you go, oh, hang on a minute. Oh, I can breathe. I'm the source of my love. I have so much to bring. Mm-hmm. And because I'm so loving, I can also allow myself to make mistakes. You know, that's called being human. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the rest of us are happy to fuck things up because we can't <laughs> get it perfect. So that, that is the relief for you, my dear, which also ironically makes you way more attractive because right. you might be, I'm just going to, you know, make a crazy assumption here. It might be, if I'm a man, it might be tough to be around someone like you. Yes. Not because you're not great or attractive or kind or loving, but because you're so put together, articulate, done the work, and a good girl constantly, that's a form of subtle to severe perfectionism, which for a guy, and most guys, let's face it, are way more fucked up than most women, (laughs) you know, that that becomes overwhelming and it becomes a little bit too much of a conflict. Mm -hmm. And so they will tend to sabotage because they don't feel that they're sufficient for you. That has very much been an accurate depiction of a lot of my experience. And <laughs> yeah. something too, though, I know I have to take responsibility for, and this is the catch-22, which I'm excited for this awareness to like deepen. Because mm-hmm. on the other side of that, as a result of thinking it was outside of myself, I, was, I would smother them, right? It was like, don't mm-hmm. go anywhere. And that is a pressure. Mm-hmm. That pressure I feel inside of myself, I then yeah. put on the relationship. And this was like, yeah. this is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
for them. And then because they would ultimately every... leave me or they would ultimately, and then it would, I would be living out my worst fear. Yeah, which is, again, fear will break its own heart is the expression I use, right? So we will always fulfill on our own fears because mm -hmm. that's what we're here to transcend. Yeah. So not only is it overwhelming for them, but you have to remember by design, by virtue of being human, every person has got the feeling of inadequacy within them. It's just, it's just again, factory setting. Now, of course, you date someone older, more mature, they've done the work, they've done plant medicine, maybe they've listened to a few Peter Crone or <laughs> done my mastermind or whatever. You know, maybe they've transcended a little bit. But when there's that much love and attention on somebody, it tends to exacerbate the feeling of inadequacy, like I'm not deserving, I don't warrant this kind of love. And that will become then the sort of implosion of self-sabotage that will pull someone away. So we want to find that balance between, of course, I'm very loving, you're certainly very loving. We want to bring that love, but it has to be in an authentic way that's not, it doesn't have an agenda about it, right? I know you can listen and not take this personally, but you, like many people that I work with, your love right now has got an underlying agenda. Yep. And it's not wrong. It's kind of adorable because it's really a little girl who says, don't leave me. You know, it's sweet, mm -hmm. but it's also incredibly destructive. And it's not going to allow for a really beautiful partnership where you're like actually adoring somebody as a shared partnership, but not somebody who is you know, the, the sort of the raison d'etre for your existence. They're not saving your life because they love you finally because you don't, right? right. It's like, no, I'm a complete sovereign being. I, uh, I give rise to all of my experiences. I am the love I'm looking for. I am the worth that I, I am been looking for. It's all innate. And I get to express that and share that with someone, which is beautiful. Mm. I mean, you guys, you're listening and watching in real time, like, I feel like the transcend, like transcending those limitations. Cause the, like the old me was like, but I'm trying so hard. You know what I mean? Yes, of course. Like, I'm trying so hard. Like, why is this not yeah. working? You know? And I'm really doing my best, but that was like yeah. the best I could do within the belief system that I had. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, I see it. I see it. It's adorable. That's why I said, we want to bring compassion. We want to yeah. see the little girl who's trying so hard. It's adorable but it's also not adult and it's not mature mm -hmm. and it's not going to work, mm -hmm. right? And the tendency, by the way, for women like you, and there's many of them out there, I'm sure, listening, is to take on that maternal role. So actually you end up dating a little boy who you get to take care of and that's the way, that's your value proposition is that you see, oh, well, this little boy loves me. Yeah, but he loves you because you're basically his mother, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? which then you start to lead into all sorts of intimacy issues where things aren't working in the bedroom and then you don't feel respected and then it develops into resentment. And, you know, all of a sudden that what was the fireworks at the beginning and it felt like this is amazing, you know, it's a dysfunctional relationship. And right. again, there's nothing wrong. I have all the compassion and patience, but if you can start to become aware of it and be responsible for it, go, oh, right. You know, I tend to attract the men who are a bit needy because that helps me fulfill on me being overly accommodating or overly affectionate or overly thoughtful, which then leaves me depleted and eventually, you know, exhausted and resentful. You, you, that pattern is never going to be sustained. It's just not. I mean, we're on the head of like some of my deepest rooted patterns because, and this is something mm -hmm. like, this is the crux of some, the, what the work that I've like been really trying to un like take the key and like which key works to unlock this thing because good, good. even even what you just said and e this is something I'm, I'm reflecting on recently 
is this connection to goodness and like being trying to be so good for my partner or for my friends or for whoever my clients yeah. the work the 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 industry that I'm in is trying to help people like relieve them yeah. of their suffering because I'm trying to do the same but I I made this connection recently and maybe you can help bring some light to how this is all connected which is sure. this real need to like you said if I attract a and I end up like dating a, a little boy and I kind of take on the archetype of the mother. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, if the relationship ends or they go away or they pass away or they leave, right. Then I feel like I have failed uh, or, or I, yes. and that is in connection to, I think there's something related to my sister because okay. when yeah. she, she died of leukemia and she needed a bone marrow transplant. And as mm -hmm. her sister, I should have been the one to give her that transplant. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm the mm -hmm. best case scenario for being a donor. And when they tested yeah. me, I was actually only a half match. And so we had to go out to the bone marrow registry and look for a, a match for her. She ended up getting one. It failed. She relapsed and the donor didn't want to donate again. Ultimately, we know the end of that story. But I don't, I think yeah. probably on some level, I feel like I failed her and that it was up to me. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And so yeah. therefore I wasn't a good sister and then I'm not a good daughter or I'm yeah. not a good friend or a partner. And so I <clears throat> feel like this is infused even to the work, why I started to do the work I do is because I wanted yeah. to be desperately wanted to be good and to like almost yeah. rewrite. And if in my partnerships, like if I can help save them, then I'm yeah. feel like I'm rewriting this story from my past, like that I can yeah. fix what I get happened. No, I really get it. And you're such a sweetheart. And, um, obviously we've never met before, so I didn't know we we're going to be talking about this, but I'm glad that I can maybe hold space for you. And it's, it's, it obviously touched you deeply right i think you said you're 23 and she was four years older or so mm -hmm. so she I don't was know how 23 when now, she passed yeah she was 23 mm -hmm. okay so um yeah how can i put this I, I just i just want you to recognize how beautiful it is and your version is what a lot of people are doing so what you're trying to do and why your life isn't working to the degree it could. Obviously, you have a successful podcast. You know, I, I, again, I don't know the, the intricacies of your personal life. I'm sure you live a nice life. But energetically, in terms of your spiritual evolution, you're trying desperately, like, and I really emphasize the word desperately, to compensate for your history. And in mm -hmm. fact, you're actually trying to fix your history. And in your language, you know, you should have been the donor. It sort of implies responsibility that is not a healthy responsibility it's yeah. fault right and so you're collapsing something that was unavoidable how do we know it's unavoidable because that's what happened with the idea that somehow it was your fault yeah and so when you live in so just let me ask you when you think your sister's death which is a big thing is your fault what does that feel like to live inside of that and um. go there like it's your fault that she died. Um, completely defeating and hopeless almost. It's like there's a particular type of pain that I feel when I feel helpless 
to change a situation that is beyond my control. Helpless. Yeah. Yeah. Powerless, hopeless, all of that. But with you, there's this little subtle undercurrent of blame and shame Mm -hmm. around that. We all feel powerless at times, right? Whatever's going on in the world the last few years, like there's a lot of helplessness. But there's a difference when you feel hopeless and helpless, but it's also yet your fault. It's somehow incumbent Mm -hmm. upon you to have resolved it. Right. And that's both sort of a double-edged sword, right? Like it's one thing to feel hopeless as a human. It's another thing to feel guilty for it. Mm -hmm. And that's a weight that is not yours to carry. Because now what you're doing in every arena, coaching, trying to help people, relationship, trying to be the perfect girlfriend. I'm sure you're an incredible friend to so many and you overthink things and are incredibly considerate. You know, much of that is ironically your true nature. You're just very loving, you're very kind, you're very thoughtful. But when there's this underlying agenda where you're trying to do it to compensate for a history that couldn't have been different because it wasn't, now you're on the proverbial hamster wheel of suffering. Mm -hmm. And uh, that doesn't benefit anyone. It's, um, you know, it's deleterious to you. It's going to be deleterious to your body over time. It's certainly going to impact and create dysfunction in your relationships. None of this is your fault. I'm just pointing it out so you can see the patterns, which you're obviously clearly aware of. Um, But even when you said, when you're trying to help others, even with your coaching, your business, Mm -hmm. here's the irony. One of the best ways you can help people is by stopping to be, it's for you to stop trying to be so perfect Mm -hmm. because they have their own version. So really helping people is much more about their humanity and allowing them to see the parts of us that we all have where we think that we're not great, we think it's our fault, we think we're not lovable, we think we're not worth it, and to make space for that. So if you can, Tori, make space for the little girl, and you weren't that little, I'm guessing you were 17 or so, or mm-hmm. no, 19, I think, mm-hmm. to go that that little, that, you know, little girl, you're 19, we're still very young and immature, but... She, she adored her sister. She loved her sister. And she felt so helpless and so powerless. And there really wasn't anything you could do. And your sister chose to exit at that point because that's when she left. And it did not and should not have been any other way. The opportunity in your lifetime and the gift that your sister really is to you is to reveal the part of you that you're here to heal, which is that you think it's your fault. Mm-hmm. That's how much your sister loved you, is that the sole agreement she had with you is that I'm going to leave so that you can face the illusion and the lie that it's your fault so that you can transcend that and be free. Yeah. The, the guilt, that's, that's a primary emotion that I think I feel in relation to her because I feel like I carry the fault piece more because I regret not having a closer relationship with her when she was here. And so I, I think I punish myself for that. Cause like in our teens, yeah, I I punish myself for it. Cause when I was in my teens, I would, and we were just far enough away in age where we didn't ever just bond. And yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also a part of me that just really wanted that, you know, yeah, that's okay. I get yeah. it. Yeah. But again, so you're I've, berating yourself for yeah. something that couldn't be different. One of my right. most popular quotes is what happened, happened. Couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. 
Mm-hmm. And there's profound acceptance to be found in that. That is the complete reconciliation of our history. Mm-hmm. I get, but you were 19, you were 17, you were 15, and she was always four years older. And that's a big enough delta in those years that, yeah. you know, you kind of don't want to hang out. She doesn't want to hang out with you. You're too young. You don't want to hang out with her. She's mm-hmm. too cool. Or, you know, whatever the hell's going on for two girls. Mm-hmm. So for you, the opportunity, which is just such a gift for many of your listeners, hopefully most of them, is to see your history couldn't have been different even as littered as it was with a couple of very trying losses, you know, in the death of your mom and your sister. But, you know, it couldn't have been different. Why? Because it wasn't. So what is the opportunity? What is the legacy that you get to live now in the absence of your sisters? Do you want to keep looking over your shoulder in the rearview mirror of your life, berating yourself, beating the shit out of yourself, trying to compensate for all of the things that you think were your fault, which is really a slight to your sister? Mm. Or Do you want to break free and kind of, quote, unquote, get over yourself and realize, wait, I want to live a life that's full of love. And even though I didn't, quote, unquote, get to express that to the form of my sister, she's still here present in energetic, you know, her presence is still here. Mm -hmm. And so she can witness, I can be with my sister, whether it be in a prayer, whether in the actions that you choose, that you can choose to now have that relationship with your sister, even in the absence of her physical form. But as long as you're looking over your shoulder and you keep making yourself wrong and thinking it's your fault, then, you know, it may sound a little bit dramatic, but then that's also the death of you and you're still alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because then I realize I've just been on a quest to save people from their, un, you know, fair, painful circumstances trying to rewrite the past. Yeah. And so. This but but, but what I, re- I really want you to get what I said, even though it was a mm-hmm. little dramatic, is your sister died, Yeah. but the way you're living is like a dead person. And I know that sounds very dramatic, but I just want you to get it. You're mm-hmm. so full of life, and the last thing your sister would want you to do is to squash and inhibit the aliveness that you are because of a narrative of fault mm-hmm. about her passing. Mm-hmm. Not only then did you lose, which we've, you know, reframed, you didn't lose your sister, but you didn't only lose your sister, but you lost yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I watched, and... I watched that happen with my, with my mom. So it's interesting. It's like mm-hmm. my mom like died when my sister did, but then it also yeah. manifest as disease in her own body. And it's, it's, yeah, yeah. I've never That's seen it that way in my own. Yeah. I've never seen it for what it is and how it's been in my own life. But that's exactly yeah, what, listen, what I've been doing. I, yeah. If there's one compliment I got was, you know, over and over was my mom died when I was seven of cancer. My dad died at 17, went to work and never came back. And I can remember when I was at my first year of college and we broke from the first semester to go home for the Christmas holidays, a friend who I'd got to know in those first few months said, you know, what are you doing for the holidays? Are you going home to your family? And I said, uh, no, I actually don't have family. And he's like, well, what do you mean you don't have family? That's, that doesn't make sense. So, well, I was an only child and my parents passed. And he took a minute and it really hit him. And he's like, you've got to be kidding. And I said, no, you know, it's just my karma. And he said, if we lined up all 15,000 students of this college and I had to pick the kid who didn't have family, you'd be the last person I picked. Mm. He said, you're so full of life and you're so kind and you're so happy and you give so much to everybody. I don't get it. And I said, well, that's because I want to pay homage and have a legacy that my dad would be proud of. And so 
even though your sister's not here, you really have an opportunity to to make the most of her death, even though that sounds like, a, again, an oxymoron, rather than feel sorry for it. Because then, as I said, not to reiterate it, but to reiterate it, two of you die. Mm -hmm. And I know she wouldn't want that for you. Yeah, I think it's embracing the idea that I deserve to have the life that she didn't get to have. Yeah. It, and, I deserve to have it all. You know, I, I get to have it all instead of actually yeah. kind of preventing myself out of survivor's guilt or whatever it is from thinking. Yeah. Yeah, that I'm yeah, actually. Yeah, because you're also not. Go ahead. You, you're also not recognizing the way life works, mm. which is we all have our own karma. Nobody incarnates here by accident and nobody leaves at an inappropriate time. If you notice on the human level, when someone dies, it's always inappropriate. It's not the right time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's not the truth from the spiritual side. Right. Right. Everybody, every being leaves at exactly the time they're meant to. So you're denying the laws of life by thinking that was bad, shouldn't have happened, the bone marrow donor, that should have been you, they didn't want to donate again, or all the stories, it's irrelevant. That was precisely what was drawn up in terms of your sister's karma. Mm -hmm. Do you see that's such a profound level of acceptance in a way that we don't necessarily need to understand, or even on the human level, fine, agree with, but it doesn't deny the fact that it transpired exactly how it was transpiring. And that was exactly how it was meant to transpire. So you're, you may live to 120, you may live to 70, you may live to 45. I don't know what your karma is. I don't know what my karma is. But get over it and start living your life. And I don't mean get over it in a way that's callous. You love mm -hmm. your sister. You've, you know, for, I don't know how old you are, but for over a decade, I'm sure you have been like, you know, quote, unquote, grieving with all your own nar narratives of fault and responsibility and guilt and shame, you know, the passing of your sister. I think you put in your time. Sure. Let's start having some fun yep. and bringing the love and the joy that you are, that I can see in you that isn't shrouded in this feeling of I don't deserve or I shouldn't live too large or I shouldn't have too much fun because of mm -hmm. my sister. Mm -hmm. That's That just is a disservice to you and everybody around you and including your sister. Yeah, I feel that. I, I over the last couple of years, I've had these inklings. I've had these like, epiphanies. I, I, you know, I've done the obviously many journeys and that have got, given me the, the awareness and understanding that it, everything is okay. There was nothing in like all of this happened in divine timing. I have that understanding. And yet yeah. I was still playing out the pattern. Um, so this yeah. is so like allowing myself to fully enjoy like the joy piece and the fun. And that is, is new for me over the last couple of years. And it's that yeah. everything doesn't have to be hard. And the whole point of doing all this work is so that we can enjoy life and, and yeah, love at the deepest levels. Um, so I receive all of that. Yeah. Thank you for that reflection. No, you're welcome. And I can see it. And even in the little chuckle in your voice, we could assert that that's a little release of energy mm -hmm. where, you know, if I were to say, okay, look at the state of the world, which right now I would assert is pretty dysfunctional. It's very disharmonious. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of lies. If we could choose to be a human being, understanding that our presence in the world contributes to the whole, meaning if there's 8 billion people, then those 8 billion people in the way that they emote, the way they feel, their internal state is contributing to the collective, what would you rather? Would you rather be a person who is on the one side, which is feeling sorry for themselves and suffering, mm -hmm. 
or would you be a human who is boundless, feeling free and full of love? Yeah. Second. <laughs> I'll take the second. It's not that difficult of a choice when you get it. No. And you, my dear, with all the best intentions, helping, coaching, doing this podcast, have been unconsciously, so there's no guilt even to apply to this understanding that I'm bringing, been living in the world of woe. Mm -hmm. Fault, guilt, shame, don't do anything wrong, surviving, making it. We don't need more people like that. Mm -mm. We need more people who can like display so that we can all mimic the experience of joy, of freedom, of love, of kindness, of harmony. That's what we need. We need human beings who embody that. That's what's going to shift the world. Not because we feel like this onus and this literal weight of guilt and shame for a history that we haven't yet accepted. Everyone's got that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, come on. Uh, no, in real time, I just, I feel the freedom. Like really, I experience the freedom of letting myself off the hook, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, 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 and coming into, you know, just seeing, seeing it clearly and seeing myself clearly. And that's, that's such a miracle and a shift in my perception of myself and of, of my life and like how much deeper, um, more reverence, more and depth of connection and love and joy that I can experience. Um, and from a, not from a wounded place, like the work that I do, no. the, yeah, that I don't have to love from a wounded place, but from like a really beautiful whole, whole place is, is such a gift. Completely genuine place. Yeah, yeah. And I can see it in your face and it's such a joy to be able to be the excuse, you know, <laughs> the catalyst, the reason for you to discover the joy, freedom and love that you truly are and that you were quote unquote, you know, the one putting yourself on the hook that you now took yourself off. And that's why there's no guilt because it was oblivious. Everyone does yeah. their own version and they're unconscious to it. And that's why we have patience and compassion as people go through this process. But now it's like, Oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, those things happened and they were sad and you can miss your mom and your sister every now and again, but it wasn't your fault. You don't need to live in guilt and shame and you have an immense amount of love and joy to share to the world and stop being stingy and hiding. <laughs> yes. Amen. Okay. I thank you for that. I do have one kind of wrap up question for you sure. around, yeah. um, it, it reverts back to the ego a little bit, but I think it's, it's our nature to want to, and it's our brains, the way we're built and wired is to try and figure things out. Right. Um, yep. Yeah. How do we work with the ego? Um, mm -hmm. or, or in the way that I think it's natural. So many of us, so much of our pain and our suffering is because we're thinking about the future and trying to prevent the past from recurring. And we're like, how do I yeah. fit? trying to figure it all out. I know I've had many sleepless nights in my head thinking about what if case scenarios. And I know that yeah. you had a time in your life where you were asking yourself a bunch of questions around what if this, yeah. what if that, can you tell that story yeah. and yeah. how, how we can start to come into more harmony and peace instead of kind of always being at war with all of the scenarios that we're playing out in our mind and stop trying to figure out everything. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's really articulated beautifully. So yeah, my story was what I was kind of speaking to earlier that I had personified my love with a, with a girl that I was dating and she had left me. And at that time in my life, she was, you could say, at the pinnacle of my love experiences. So it was all the more significant. She, you know, potentially was the one and all of the things that we hear that are, you know, ways to sustain these illusory narratives. But anyway, so when she left, 
I, you know, figuratively fell apart. I was tired. I couldn't sleep. I was depressed. I was missing her. I was calling on my friends, desperate men doing desperate things, trying to figure out how to get her back. And the sort of perennial questions that kept going around in my head were, you know, where is she? Is, will I see her again? Is she dating someone? Will I find love like that again? And these were there for quite a few weeks. I probably went through this process for about six to eight weeks. For the first couple of weeks, we'd stayed in touch, but then there was no communication. And I couldn't sleep. I even woke up one night and I screamed at my own head, you know, shut up mm-hmm. <laughs> to my own mind because it was just incessant. And then I was trying to, to your point, figure out. And I want people to understand the process of trying to figure out a future is a survival mechanism, right? It's a behavioral adaptation to the underlying fear that we think we're not going to be okay. So anyway, to cut to the, you know, sort of revelation that I had, I was sitting at my desk at tiny little room in a rent control apartment and um, I suddenly realized the answer to all of the questions you know where is she will I see her again is she dating anyone will I have love like that again and it was three simple words I don't know I just don't know and it hit me in a way that was so profound because I realized the very nature of life itself is uncertainty especially as it relates to the future and how we get preoccupied and obsessed with trying to figure it out And for the first time in my life, not only did I see that we don't know what the future holds, I was totally okay with that. Mm. And the feeling and cascade of freedom that went through my body was like something I'd never had before. And that was the start of my entire work where I realized the futility of the nature of life, which is uncertainty, collapse with the nature of the human brain, which is to try and overcome uncertainty. And you start to see the absolute contradiction of those two things trying to coexist. And um, so I just stopped trying to figure it out. Now, has my brain over the last couple of decades still tried to figure shit out from time to time? <laughs> you know, of course, but I'm usually pretty quick to catch myself and go, oh, okay, what's needed here is not the answers to the unanswerable questions I have floating around in my head. What's actually being called for is a deeper development of trust. Mm. And so that is the ultimate an- antidote is the logical intellectual exercise of realizing the truth that we don't know what's going to happen. That itself can usually be sufficiently liberating for people to stop playing that game. Mm -hmm. But ultimately what it's calling for is a deeper sense that in ways that I don't understand on the personal level, my life is taken care of and my needs are met. Yeah. And I, I have so much compassion for those that don't yet have a relationship with the unknown or some higher being or power that they believe really loves them or mm-hmm. is on yeah. their side. Because I imagine, you know, trusting <laughs> is very, very, very challenging for those that don't believe there's anything there to trust in. It's, yeah, it's a huge obstacle. And some people you rely on their faith, you know, it might be a religion and a, a some sort of divine figure that they appeal to. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to be more sort of universal and embracing all different religions and look at it more as trust. Mm-hmm. And that is very difficult. It's, I would argue, maybe the most challenging thing for a human being, because we are designed to survive. Yeah. You know, the primordial imperative of any mammal is to make it. You know, we don't want to die. And so, you know, we've been given this incredible piece of equipment called the brain, which is always trying to predict and protect because its job, we could argue, is to make sure that we make it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
again, we want to notice the contradiction, the hypocrisy of the nature of life being uncertainty and the nature of our equipment being trying to find security. And that's where a lot of exhaustion and dysfunction exists. And if you can just realize the truth that we're all clueless and that doesn't make it less scary, but if we can at least embrace that to whatever degree we're ready to, and lean into trust and of course be responsible as best we can for the way that we create a life that we want you know like i'm committed to a lot of things doesn't mean they're going to always work out but you know we are co-creators uh just so happens that our partner in crime so to speak is immensely more powerful than us mm-hmm. and uh whether we look at it as a spirit guide or as a god or an angel or a parent that's passed away there's somebody who's got a lot more wherewithal, intellect, and foresight than we do. And uh, I find solace in that. I do too. I do too. I think I know this is going to be a powerful episode for people and there are going to be so many breakthroughs. And as we wrap up, I I just want to bring it full back full circle, right? To the game of life, getting off of defense, getting onto offense. We try around here to help people learn skills, understanding, have the perspective shifts to help them win. What does winning mm-hmm. at life really mean to you? What is ultimate success in, in the eyes of Peter Crone? Uh, if I were to put it in one word, I'd say peace. Mm-hmm. To be at peace. And the way we access peace, ironically, is to embrace both offense and defense. <laughs> they both exist as part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. You're incredible. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of your presence, of your wisdom, of the decades of work that you've put in to get to where you are and sharing it with us. It does is not lost on me or this audience. And um, I just am eternally grateful. So thank you for gracing us with your presence. Please tell our audience how they can know more about you, the work that you're doing. I know you've been working on a book. Um, what are you excited about? And can you share that with our audience? Absolutely. And again, I just want to acknowledge your acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's really beautiful. And I really got how heartfelt your words are. And, and that means a lot to me and why I feel very, you know, lucky to do the work that I do to make the difference that I get to make. So thank you for saying that. Um, in terms of finding me, uh, Instagram is great at Peter Crone um, or on the web at petercrone.com. Uh, in terms of pursuing the work, um, my most powerful, beautiful, incredibly inspiring, community-driven offering is my mastermind, which is a three-month container that will be, uh, we're now only doing once a year, but um, we'll be probably in end of January, beginning of February. So depending on when this comes out, hopefully people can participate in that, uh, where I not only teach my theories, but I coach people live and you get to witness the awakening of beautiful humans who mm-hmm. are committed to becoming free. Um, so yeah, they're the best ways to, to find me and hopefully the book will be out sometime next year too. Yes. Well, we are, I know I'm anxiously waiting for that to come out, but in the meantime, you guys, please go over, give Peter a follow on social media and check out his website. I've been through his, his workshops before and they are absolutely transformational. So if you want to do the work, which I invite you to step up and say yes to, because don't, don't let this information just go in one ear and out the other. You know, this is meant to be applied. This is meant to be used so that you can experience that internal to external transformation. It happens from the inside out. And Peter is 
the guy that I trust to, to, to help me in my pursuit of that. And so I know you guys will get, um, just as much value if you, if you check his, his workout, petercrone.com, you guys, until next week, go be coachable, stretch yourself, get uncomfortable. And remember you can't fuck it up. I love you. I'll see you next week on the coachable podcast.